Earth, a Love Story Written and read by Robin Lassiter Chapter 10 They're back That creepy kid from Poltergeist After my work with Samantha, I felt pretty steady. I started thinking about relationships again, about rebuilding my life. I thought about taking on faith, something that Jacob had assured me was true. You meet people at the level you're at, he said. If you do your work, do your best, keep striving, keep engaging, keep trying to grow and realize yourself not as perfect or repulsive, but as human and vulnerable, you'll meet someone who's doing the same. That sounded super made up, but lo and behold, I did meet that someone. I call him Jupiter because he's a Sagittarius and Jupiter rules Sagittarius and Cancer, me, a moon child, is exalted in Jupiter. He is free-spirited, kind, happy. His joy is so gorgeous. We meet through mutual friends. We both try to take it really slow, but we fall in love anyway. We climb mountains and go camping and cross rivers together. We dance in the kitchen while we're cooking healthy food, and we play and throw our heads back laughing and go on adventures and revel in sunsets and blue sky days. I'm not trying to talk him into loving me. I act like myself, silly and joyful and unconcerned with how I look. He loves me anyway. We can both breathe next to each other. We look each other in the eye. We giggle until our faces and stomachs ache and we fall asleep in each other's arms. And before I know it, here we are, back at chapter one. Right in the middle of my settling into a normal and predictable life, it all starts up again. There is the buzzing and the light and the lifting and them saying, you have to come higher, we can't go that low. And then the second broken ankle while I was picking pinions with my family. And then the regression where I learned about my soul journey and extraplanetary origins. And the four who are one telling me to write a book that will span the gap between two major blocks of my life. I was able to push all of the weird experiences aside, to ignore them for a while. I started writing this book a few times, but I was talking around the thing so much that it felt dead and hollow. There was no life to it, and I didn't want there to be. I told myself I didn't have time to write this book. I told myself that it was folly and fantasy, even though I knew that wasn't true. The true truth was, I was terrified of saying plainly what my life had been. Speaking my life was a huge threshold to cross. That event horizon was what event horizons are a point of no return where everything would be different on the other side, and that other side was totally unknown. I stayed in the uneasy tension of that place. As much as I'm a cliff jumper, a risk taker, a leap and the net will appearer, I am also a lingerer, a dawdler, a hanger out in thresholds that are certainly meant to be crossed. I had received the new call, but I hadn't yet said yes. At the end of 2020, about six months after I'd had the regression and about a year after the buzzing and out-of-body experiences had returned to me, Jupiter and I moved to the western Colorado desert on the other side of the Rocky Mountains from my childhood home. 
We live near the confluence of two big rivers, and we come here to see what our life together looks like. We arrive in our nice, brightly lit apartment in our nice, friendly new neighborhood. The apartment is built up against a hillside, and there are two levels. The lower level is a garage with a warm little room behind that holds the water heater, and then beyond that a crawl space with the earth floor rising steadily up into the hill behind us. We walk in the front door, then immediately up a stairway to arrive on the second level, so that when we come into the living room, we find four huge sliding glass doors spanning the entire front of the house with a little balcony deck and a railing we can lean against to watch the sun rise and set against the backdrop of the red cliffs of the Colorado National Monument. Moving back from the living room is a light open kitchen and another hallway and two bedrooms that both open out onto a small patio back at ground level, which works because of the hillside. It's a bit surreal going from the second story living room back to the ground level bedrooms just by walking the 40 feet or so from the front of the house to the back, but it's a neat space and we love it. In the tiny back patio is a tree that we name and make friends with and drape with charms and shells and bells. Jupiter is traveling, so for the first week in our new place, I am alone. For no good reason in this lovely new space, I am terrified. My nervous system is on overdrive. There's a constant pressure, the intense feeling of someone standing directly behind me or beside me. I begin to get a weird electronic ringing in my right ear when I lay down to sleep at night. It's so loud I can't ignore it. It sounds maddeningly like muffled speech, but technological and robotic. I strain to catch some phrase or word, but I can't make anything out. I wake up every night at 3am and can't go back to sleep. There is the horrible sensation of someone in the room with me in the dark, under the bed, in the closet, or standing right next to me. I turn on the lights and no one is there, and when I eventually fall back to sleep, I have nightmares. Dark, violent, invasive dreams. I use sage every day to try and clear and claim my space, but it doesn't seem to work. The presence is with me day and night, and I endlessly check the doors and windows and behind the shower curtains. There is a ritual every time I enter the house, even if I was only gone for 30 minutes on a walk through my safe, quiet neighborhood. I unlock my locked front door and roam the house with my heart in my throat, waiting for something to jump out at me. I watch myself in the mirror, terrified there will be something behind me. I methodically look through the entire house, in the garage, in the little room behind, peek into the crawl space behind that, and then upstairs to open every closet door and look under the beds and into every place where something or someone could be hiding. It's totally exhausting. I feel crazy and try to talk myself out of my illogical terror, but no matter what I do, it won't go away. I fitfully sleep with the lights on the whole time Jupiter is gone. It seems better when he gets back, but I work from home so when he leaves in the morning, I am again alone in our terrifying, beautiful new place. The whole experience is eerie and unsettling enough, but the most unsettling part is the part that I don't say to anyone, 
the part that makes no sense to me. Even though I've had a lifetime of contact with non-human entities and have seen craft in the sky and in my dreams, is that this presence feels, to me, alien. Not alien as in something out there, over there, up in the sky, on another planet, in my regression, in my dreams. Alien as in some deeply foreign presence in the room with me, interacting with me, watching me. And the fact that I'm even thinking that thought at all freaks me the fuck out. Never in my life have I been interested in ufology. I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't know about the well-documented cases and experiences that humans have had not just in the past century, but throughout all of human history. I didn't know that so many others had Armageddon dreams, an urgent sense of mission, and the buzzing paralysis. I'd never heard of Betty and Barney Hill, or Jacques Vallée, or John Mack. I find myself searching for information on that fire in the sky movie that I never saw because the trailer scared the living bejesus out of me as a kid. I am astonished to read the first-hand account from Travis Walton, the guy it was based on, and find it as real and baffling as my own experiences. I come across another guy named Whitley Strieber in a book called Communion, and I buy it and put it on my altar with my tarot cards and singing bowls and incense and stare at it from across the room, too afraid to crack it open. My version of this book does not have the iconic cover, but instead has a grainy gray photo of a flying saucer across the front. But even that feels so ominous and terrifying that it only adds to my incomprehensible discomfort inside of my lovely, innocuous apartment. I know what I'd been told in the regression, that apparently I'm a being incarnated here on Earth for some big mission. Going through the internal experience of that was one thing, and I had somewhat integrated it. I'm the alien, I guess. It's another thing entirely to let that reality into the consensus one. I'd always been pretty good at keeping all of my realities separate and compartmentalized, and now it seemed that wasn't going to work anymore. I think about all of this obsessively. I alternate between pretending it isn't happening to waking up from a nightmare where I'm fighting someone off and sitting up drenched in the fear and horror and presence that has invaded my bedroom once again. I tell myself that's all behind me now, and then I'm paralyzed, floated up out of my body surrounded by buzzing and shuddering and vibration and the sick feeling again, just like all those years ago, because I don't know what happens to me when I lose consciousness. Every day I think about that thing they told me in the regression, that I should be writing a book, and every day I resist. Resistance is my special skill. And what a weird thing for a bunch of aliens to tell me to do anyway. Why would aliens care about me writing a book? Who was I? What did it matter what I thought and felt and went through? This is all insane, anyway. At the same time, my career, which for 15 years had fed me and housed me and acted as the vehicle for me to be of service to the world, began to feel unmanageable and overwhelming. 
even though the job came with a huge amount of responsibility and was demanding, consuming most of my time and energy, it was also my sanctuary. Even if it was a tough day, the landscape was familiar. I knew the lingo. Service was built in. I had a purpose. It gave me a normal enough looking life from the outside. Slowly, even the job was changing into something new. It was no longer a reliable source of escape into structure and purpose. The stress of the work combined with the pressure in the house and that unanswered call ringing away in the background was becoming overwhelming. I muscled my way through each work week, knowing that if I let my focus and vigilance slip, the thousands of details that needed managing in order to ensure a smooth, stable, successful schedule, in order to assure a positive, safe experience for our patients, would begin to tumble down and everything would fall apart. I couldn't afford to let my guard down. What had been second nature, having managed this business for many years, suddenly turned into a near impossible task. I was struggling mightily, white knuckling my way through. No matter how much I fought it, the truth is that this primary foundation in my life that had been steady through all of the years and moving and drama and change was crumbling. I felt like if I let go, there would be nothing to catch me. Just Jupiter. But my entire life structure and reality was a bit too much to put onto any one person. So that would leave only me, falling through the air, again, with nothing and no one to catch me. One day I'm sitting on my couch looking out of the big sliding glass doors that cross the front of the living room. I'm looking at the deep blue sky with its shaggy white clouds suspended over the desert cliffs, and I say out loud, angry and annoyed, if you're out there, why don't you just show yourself right now? What's with all of this creeping around and dreams and tones and cryptic bullshit at 3am, whatever it is? Just show yourselves. I guess I half expected a UFO to materialize, spin around three times, and spell out all the answers in glitter bubble letters across the sky, but the response to my directive is not that. Instead, it is unexpected, instantaneous, and dramatic. I see a big white flash cross the high window to my left and then hear a loud bang as something slams into the side of my house. I jump up off the couch and run outside to see what it was and get there just in time to see a big white bird flying off into the distance. I stand on the balcony deck for a minute, trying to make sense of it, and then hear my cell phone ring and go inside to answer it. When I do, an electronic, chittering, screeching comes through so loudly that I have to pull the phone away from my ear. Hello? I ask. The response is the same muffled, garbled, techno babble that I've been hearing each night in my right ear, only this time the volume is turned up to a hundred. I still can't make out any words, although I strain and try. It's like a conversation I can almost catch, and it is again maddening that I can't decipher what's being said. Finally, I hang up the phone. This was the first of three white bird events. The second happened later that week, on the night of New Year's Eve, in a dream. In this very vivid dream, I am driving my truck down a road near our place. 
Jupiter is in the passenger seat. On the road in front of us is a big, angry white goose. His head low and snaking, he's hissing loudly and focused directly on me. As I'm watching, he flaps his wings, slowly at first, then faster and faster and runs towards us, head still low, pissed and intense, and me his singular target. I can't get out of his way in time and think, I'm going to run right into him. He gets within a few inches of the truck and suddenly flies up and over the hood and straight through the windshield, which inconveniently disappears at that exact moment. He comes at me full speed and burrows himself into the crook of my neck on the right side, not the cancer scar side, the other side. The feeling is so deeply visceral and intense that I'm instantly and fully awake, in my bed, flinging the covers back, scrabbling and scraping at my neck, thinking that a bird or a giant spider or a mouse or something had indeed been trying to burrow into my neck in real life while I was sleeping, and the sensation had been transferred into my dream world. I jump up and look for whatever had somehow found its way into my bedroom and burrowed into my neck, but there is nothing. The sensation in my body is that primal, visceral, protect-your-organs-and-life-and-carotid-artery feeling that I imagine I'd have right before a lion who has my throat in his mouth bites the kill bite. The feeling stays in that vulnerable place where my neck meets my shoulder, and I continue to try to sweep the uncomfortable sensation away throughout the day. As I often do in moments like these, I consult the oracle known as Google, and what immediately comes up is the connection of the goose spirit to writing. The goose spirit translates the story we wrote in our book of life. Use the goose spirit to help you write your book. The goose spirit keeps the mirrors and masks of ourselves. The goose teaches us to write a life story of power. Use the goose quill to access the power of the written word, etc. Okay, got it. Write the fucking book. Because aliens said so, and so did a goose. Still very much suspicious of these experiences, I keep them all at arm's length. I really don't trust my interiority as something to be worked with, relied on. I certainly don't trust the invasive presence. Rather than serving as any sort of confirmation, the white bird events just make me feel more suspicious more afraid. It all feels like a very personal imposition. The third bird event, though, didn't feel that way at all. I was on a walk listening to a podcast about people who've had NDEs. I love hearing from people who have seen the other side, the similarities between their accounts and my experiences with the jaguar and the velvet black intelligent void with the gateway feel in my body, related to these near-death experiences that people have had. It was a beautiful day. I walked along listening to a man give his testimonial about his experience of life beyond this world, when the world around me began to change. The huge blue spruce trees to my left began to softly glow. The dark green needles and small brown cones emanating a gentle golden light. 
Above me and to the right, a breeze delicately swirled bright green leaves at the top of tall black-barked trees. The leaves looked like they were being dipped and dragged through a pool of effervescent sparkling blue water instead of the normal flat backdrop of a sky. Even the sidewalk under my feet was slowly flowing with aliveness. An anthill, half on the sidewalk and half on the grass, with busy, fast, fat mahogany ants rushing to and fro, glowed softly blue. I could see little trailers of golden light following each ant on her hurried task. Every blade of grass and even the air itself was sparkling with life. I could see the air and molecules and atoms surrounding me and infusing me and connecting me to every other thing that is also ignited and infused by that same presence. I walked down the sidewalk, taking it all in, floating through this magical world in bliss and reveling in the light. My heart felt full of the same light, alive, sparkling glow, and I walked with a huge smile, head tilted back, bathing in the beauty of it all. Gliding along in an experience of deep and utter joy, not a thought in my head, I turned right to go towards home. In front of me was a street, and a median, and another street, and once I crossed those, I would turn left and be just a block from the apartment. There were a few other people around me, walking dogs and pushing strollers, and as I stepped onto the street to cross, I noticed a big white bird, way over there across both streets, sitting in a tree and looking directly at me. He caught my eye because of how big he was and how white he was, about the size and shape of a raven, but with a smaller, hawk-like beak. I watched him step off of the branch he was sitting on, unfold his wings, and glide silently across the street and median directly towards me. I stood, still in that heightened alive state, mesmerized as he got closer and closer. His eyes locked onto mine, he closed the gap between us in just a few seconds and flew straight to me at eye level, never wavering, so that in order to keep him from hitting me right in the face, I had to duck out of his way, fast. I gasped and crouched and then spun around to look behind me to see where he had gone. He was sitting up in a nearby tree, looking down at me, his dark, piercing, sharp bird eyes staring directly into mine. I glanced around at the other people out on their early evening walk, but no one seemed to notice what had just happened. We stayed that way for a moment, me looking at the bird, the bird looking at me. I was totally electrified. It was so unexpected, and also somehow fit seamlessly into the rarefied state I was in the world still sparkling and alive and shimmering. I shifted back and forth from one foot to the other while the bird watched me. What do I do? I whispered out loud and then glanced around to see if anyone was watching me be a crazy person, talking to myself and to a bird. I swear I felt like he wanted me to follow him, like he was beckoning me, and I was fighting with myself. This is what I do now? I follow birds? This is my life. What the fuck? I watched as this big white bird looked at me and then flew to another tree ten feet away, 
He landed on a branch and turned to stare at me again. I took a few steps towards him. He flew another few feet and looked back at me. All the while, I'm certain I fully lost my mind and that following this bird is totally ridiculous. Eventually, though, the heightened electric excitement wins out and I surrender. He leads me, tree by tree, into a neighborhood I've never walked through before. And as I enter, I notice that all of my numbers are here. There is 1111 and my birthday and multiple combinations of 3, 5, and 8. The house numbers and car license plates and random garbage cans are all transmitting these numbers to me. And it's not like I'm looking for them or want to see them. And why does it always feel so lame and crazy and embarrassing to talk about the number synchronicities? But there they all are. And as I continue along, I can't deny it. Because over and over, one after another, they are announcing themselves to me. As this is happening, I suddenly realize that the address of our neat new apartment is 358. It had been so long since I'd had these number events that I hadn't even noticed. I float along through the neighborhood, open-mouthed and completely inside of the surreality. The big white bird leads me through the number sink funhouse for about two blocks, and then I look up and he is gone. Once again, I'm not quite sure what to do, but notice that the colors and the light in the world are back to normal. The heightened, shiny, shimmering state has faded away, and now I'm just a person standing dumbly, aimlessly, on the street looking around at nothing. I close my mouth, stand there a moment longer, and then turn around and go home. When I get there, laughing a wild, internal laugh as I pass the 358 plaque outside of my door, I go directly to my bird book, and then to the internet to search for what bird that could possibly have been. Maybe a goshawk, although the white and gray ones are only in Australia. Maybe a Clark's nutcracker, although the body, shape, and beak are all wrong. I don't know. I still don't know. The next morning, I get up and I start writing this book. After the three white bird events, I am even more interested in UFOs and aliens and ufology, which makes no sense because what do white birds have to do with any of that? Regardless, I begin an almost manic search for all things extraterrestrial, and even carefully open and begin to read communion. Only in broad daylight, though, and only when I know Jupiter will be home soon. In the first sentence of the prelude of his book, Whitley uses the word shattering. I felt I was in good company. A few pages into chapter one, he uses the word rushed to describe how his visitor approached. That word blasted through me like an ill wind and I slammed the book shut and had a panic attack that required a long walk in nature before I could get the hairs on the back of my neck to settle back down. I kept going back to it slowly over time, as my nervous system allowed. It takes me months to finish it, and by the time I do, my body can almost handle it. In the meantime, I discover others' accounts of their experiences and spend hours listening to every podcast, reading every blog, 
obsessively buying every book I come across, searching relentlessly for bits and pieces that will help all of this come together and make some kind of sense. At first, these accounts cause a physical, somatic, fear-soaked flop sweat every time and I spend hours calming my nervous system and coming back to center. I acclimate over time, but slowly. A huge piece of the puzzle falls into place when I stumble across Stuart Davis interviewing Sean S. Bjorn Hargens on Stuart's podcast, Aliens and Artists. It's the first time I've heard anyone just openly give permission for all of the things that had happened to me to exist in one place. I think at one point, Sean says something like, what if we just start by believing people? And that simple phrase was a key that slid past all of my tumblers and unlocked some door deep inside of me. I am gobsmacked, lightheaded and flushed. I am rearranged and all of the managing and regulating that I didn't even know I was doing falls away. For my entire life, I'd kept what I deemed my normal, real, acceptable to the overculture so I don't get burned at the stake self, front and center in my psyche. But down the hall, around the corner, and behind a dimly lit door, there was the rest of it. A mansion's worth of rooms filled with all of the things I shouldn't or couldn't include in that normal, real, acceptable self. I'd shoved the out-of-body experiences into one room and the UFO dreams over there in another. The beings from my childhood and the haunting in New Mexico, and the four who are one and the precog stuff, they were all kept separate and apart. These rooms certainly all had shared walls, but they were each discreet, contained, compartmentalized. In that one moment, hearing that one phrase, all of those walls came tumbling down. Of course, even though my logical mind was caught totally off guard, down in the deep, deep down, I was primed and ready. The regression, the bird events, Whitley's book, the synchronicities, and every account I had ingested and mobilized were down there, working in the shadows, removing a brick here, knocking down a support beam there, destabilizing the structure I had used so much energy to build, shaking my foundations. If it makes you at all uncomfortable to hear about things creeping around in the shadows of my psyche, prying chinks into load-bearing walls, wiggling loose rocks and compromising supports, Good. That means I'm conveying the correct level of magnitude and gravity. The shaking and shattering and floor coming out from underneath me feeling that I felt. The walls of my psyche blew out and the structure of reality that I'd spent a lifetime constructing, holding up, managing, trying so very hard to match up with the external reality, fell to pieces. My ghosts began to frolic with the light beings and the non-human entities, and with them were Pan and UFOs and the four who were one, and my previously abandoned, now integrated other self was in the corner, floating up out of her body. It was a terrifying, rapturous festival blitz spilling out from between my ears, and as the light came in and touched them all, as they began to coexist in a shared, wide-open space within me, 
There was also a huge release of the psychic energy that I'd been using to manage and contain and separate and split these parts of myself. It had taken so much work to manage all of this. In their coming together, a tremendous amount of energy was returned to my physical body. It was overwhelming, ecstatic. I had been working to narrow something down into a singular answer. I was trying to figure something out. I was operating in a paradigm of either or, and suddenly I found myself in the realm of both and. Turns out the singular answer is that it is everything all at once. I wasn't crazy. We do contain multitudes. I knew it. Somewhere deep down, I knew it. And all of these beings that cohabitate with us here on our also-conscious planet are actually a part of our humanness. The nature of our species is one of relationship to these beings and realms and to the deeper registers of ourselves, the parts of us that already know how to interact with them all. We just forgot. A few weeks later, I reached out to Stuart Davis and booked a session. I suddenly felt I needed to say these things out loud to someone or I was going to explode. The presence in my house and the pressure hadn't let up. If anything, it was worse. I was writing the book in fits and starts, but doing it. I was working. I had accepted myself at a new level. But the fear and palpably present visitor only became more real. During our first session, I talked around what I was trying to say for the entire time. Somehow Stuart felt and saw into what I was really saying, and over the next couple of sessions I was able to speak it all clearly. He helped me put structures in place to navigate the truth of all that I was experiencing. When I told him about the three bird events, he sat back in his chair and said, Wow. And I swear I've never felt so utterly validated. When I said the word alien, not even a shadow of incredulity passed across his face. All of this wild, confusing, magical, terrifying world that I'd kept to myself for all of these years was received as not only real, but also meaningful. Holy fuck. Stuart also put me in touch with a new online community, the Experiencer Group which had been formed as a support group for people who'd had any number of anomalous experiences. Here was my internal landscape reflected. Not only did I no longer have to compartmentalize all of these different events in my life, but now I also had a whole community of people to talk to who had experienced the same. For the first time, I had others who spoke my language. During the first support group meetings, my throat clenched and I cried through my shares and sweated through my shirt. Over time, I began to trust the safety of these people and was astonished to find them full of the same depth, sensitivity, and both-and paradigm that was within me. With Stuart's direction, I began to work with my team, my counsel. I made space each morning and night to communicate with my unseen guides, ancestors, and allies those beings who cared for me and have my best and highest good at heart. I ask them for guidance, for help, and clarity. I ask them for protection, and I find that bliss. I am able to sleep again. Nightmares still come, but I have more strength now to face them and even make some sense of them. I am not terrified all the time. 
I can rest and stop pacing my own perimeter. I have help. I'm not alone. As I move into early 2021, this is my landscape. I have spoken as much of my truth as I am able to another human. I am storytelling myself into being, writing this very book. I have a new group of people to share my deepest experiences with, and I'm doing work to map and explore this new territory. I've said yes to this new cycle and journey. I'm working on getting certified to facilitate past life regressions, and I begin to take courses to become a hypnotherapist. My job is exhausting and overwhelming. These are all of the things happening in the external. They are the real-life veneer covering the shifts and rearrangements that are happening inside of me, in the liminal, in my dreams, in out-of-body experiences, in visions, in the in-between space. The next chapter of this book is me reporting to you from that in-between space. What follows are journal entries, documentation of dreams, the content of more hypnotic regression work, and my own real-time processing and integration. What arises from all of this, spoiler, is that my life takes a wild, unexpected, rapturous left turn. I experience the loss of my immature and personalized fantasy of love, and I am gifted with an indiscriminate, unconditional, universal love so big that my body can only receive small morsels at a time, or I will explode into smithereens. I accept the certainty that I will never have a normal life, and I accept that the world is not what I thought it was. I answer the call from the deepest cells in the very center of the center of my bones. All of that culminates. Does it ever really, though, fucking culminate? In a miraculous healing from a non-human entity. Yes, a miraculous healing from a non-human entity. I'm glad I have some more things to write before I get to that, because it's still complicated for me to talk about. And so, my friends, as we wander together into these borderlands, into this dark and unknown forest, in among these misty islands of my own interiority, I offer three red threads for you to follow. The first red thread, the return into my physical world, into my daily life, into the cancer scar on my neck, into my fucking bedroom as a matter of fact, of aliens, others, non-human intelligence, non-human beings, extraterrestrials, or whatever, whoever they are. To be honest, I don't know. They could live on this planet. They could come from a parallel dimension. They could be only in the astral. They could have flown here in a shiny silver flying saucer. They could be hanging out with my soul self and my guides and my dead relatives looking down at me, putting things into motion, sending me here and there, compelling me to do this or that. They could be all of those things. Whoever they are, they feel other. They are paranormal, extraterrestrial, transrational. Para-extra-trans-phenomenological-ontological-something-or-others. But they are definitely out of this world. So this first red thread, I call the galactic. The second red thread, number two, is the falling away of the remaining structures and foundations from my previous life. All of them. 
my job, my relationship with Jupiter, my relationship with my culture, my deep core beliefs, my reality, my anticipated future. Everything shifts and changes. There is an internal restructuring. It is time for me to move from the evolution through suffering paradigm to the evolution through joy and creativity paradigm. There is a deep initiation through grief, and I am left to stabilize in the midst of a perpetual freefall. This second red thread is what I call the portal of grief that leads to joy. And finally, red thread number three is the emergence from deep within the rumbling earth, upward and throughout every cell of my being, of a rich feminine energy. Goddesses arrive and reintroduce me to our precious planet. They remind me of the truth of the great round, which unites what I thought were separate evolutions of suffering and joy into a single sacred monad. I call this third red thread of the feminine, life herself. So, the galactic, the portal of grief that leads to joy, and life herself. Got it? If you can hang on to that, you'll make it through the next bit. That's how I made it through. For more information, or to book a one-on-one session with me, visit honeyheart.org.